Welcome in to the At The Yard podcast. Today's guest is Arizona State Recruiting Coordinator Ben Greenspan, who shares a story about overcoming adversity from an illness early in life and how that helped him as a player, his unique career path, and all things Sun Devils baseball. All that and much more on episode 52 of the At The Yard podcast. Welcome back to the At The Yard podcast. Really pumped about today's guest, Arizona State Recruiting Coordinator Ben Greenspan joins me. Ben, thanks for joining the show, man. Thanks for having me on, Les. Really, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I've listened to these over the last couple weeks and really appreciate uh, what you're doing to grow the game of college baseball and and love to hear others' perspective on things. It's been really beneficial. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, I got to imagine that like, like most others, you know, this is the first time that you're not on a ball field on what do we may 21st, you know, on a, uh, you know, this time of year. I mean, it's got to be pretty weird for you. So what sort of things are you doing to kind of keep yourself busy and keep yourself, you know, sharp for if and when, you know, you get to get back to at least the recruiting portion of things? Yeah, just trying to kind of figure things out and figure out uh, how to work from home with with two young kids under five years old and a dog that likes to bark at everybody that walks past the house and <laughs> trying trying to figure out a way to stay on task. Um, but no, it, ways think some of the things that we've done. Obviously, I like to read a lot. Um, so just trying to find, you know, some some things that maybe we can do better and evaluate how we do things and, and just try and identify some of our strengths in the program. And, and if there's things that we can do better, how can we do them better? And, um, you know, it's been, it's been a nice time to kind of step back and, and look at things from a different perspective. Um, just since you're not so caught up in the everyday grind of a season, like that. um, trying to find some inspiration. And since we're not competing every day from, you know things all over the place so you know for example the the jordan documentary the last dance i think you know we we can take a lot of the things that i learned and that and and apply them towards our team and talk about with our guys um so just trying to find ways to to make our team better moving forward without the normal grind of a season you know and and making your team better usually starts with the recruiting and you know as the recruiting coordinator at asu uh you know that falls a great deal of that falls on you, but I, I want to go back to your recruitment as a player and, you know, coming out of West Point, New York, you were recruited to the university of Connecticut, uh, spent a couple of years there as a catcher, first baseman. What was the recruiting process like for you? You, you know, when you were coming out of high school, uh, what, 16, 17 years ago compared to, you know, how you're recruiting today. I mean, obviously with the technology, it's different, but, you know, I'm curious your perspective on just what the recruiting process was like for you uh, coming out of high school, and, and then you, we can get into you know what it's like today. Yeah, I, I would say this, Les, that if um, I, I would hope that my recruiting process would be a lot different than those that we're recruiting at ASU, because um, if I recruit a lot of caliber of players or a lot of players that are the caliber of myself <laughs> coming out of high school. I wouldn't be at ASU very much longer. So um, for me, uh, I, I was very lightly recruited. Um, I actually went to a prep school in Connecticut. So I finished high school in New York, did a postgraduate year in Connecticut, which is a big thing on the East Coast for hockey and lacrosse players. And um, living on West Point, I got to know the, the head coach at West Point, Joe Sotolano, decently well. And, and he recommended a place called Salisbury school. And, um, just by chance, I, I went up there and I visited, I played for a guy named Dan Donato, who, uh, I, I really respected. Um, and, and he was a hockey and baseball player made it up to, I believe, triple a with the Yankees and the Rays. Um, but, uh, I, I was kind of a regional recruit and, uh, I had some interest from some schools in new England. Uh, I wanted to stay in new England at the time, um, and so he was recruited by Connecticut and at the time, uh, still had a relationship with the staff at Connecticut and mentioned, Hey, I have a, a guy here that's interested in playing. And, and lucky for me, I was surrounded at Salisbury at the prep school by some really good players. We had a, a right-hander that actually went to ASU 
uh, left-hander that committed to Miami, Florida and ended up signing with the Diamondbacks. And so there were a lot of people in to see them. And, and I was kind of the lucky afterthought that um, as, as some bigger programs and some people came in to see those guys, it, it was convenient for them to see me as well. And so um, pretty, pretty quick recruitment for me. I, I had interest from them. Uh, I was a recruited walk-on, so I, I didn't, I wasn't wined and dined, and, and quite honestly, that that wasn't really important to me. It was a lot more about finding the right fit and being surrounded by good people. And um, to this day, I still have a great relationship with Coach Penders at UConn, um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that he gave me an opportunity there. You know, it's funny you talk about being, you know, that the fortunate, you know, guy there when people are in to see these other players, and we hear that a lot, right? And and you. You know, I get asked that question a lot from parents and from players. And, you know, you hear coaches say, you know, that's kind of the importance of, you know, always doing the right things, right? And always hustling and always, you know, doing the little things because it goes back to that old old saying that you never know who's watching. And in your case, I mean, that kind of bore itself out, right? Yeah, yes, 100%. Um, and it, you, you never know who people know as well. So whether it's an opposing coach that you know takes note of you or uh, somebody that's in the stands that maybe I had a relationship with in, in terms of the recruiting side of things, you, you just you, you don't. You never know um, the, the tips that we get. I think recruiting is so relationship-oriented, and the tips that we get can come from anybody. And anybody that we have a good relationship with can say, hey, I— I saw this kid and maybe it's the dad of a recruit that you have that says, Hey, this opposing pitcher was really good. And and you don't think anything of it when you're playing in the game, but how you carry yourself, how you interact with your coaches, with opposing coaches, with umpires, with your teammates, uh, it it just, it can really open some doors for some of those youth players. Yeah. So after a couple of years at UConn, you make the move over to Indiana in 06 uh, you graduate, you end up getting a master's there as well. Uh, you're the team captain in 07. Battled injuries, right? Uh, your senior year there, and, and even despite that, still made the academic All-Big Ten team. But talk a little bit about just persevering through injuries. And was it during that time that you decided, hey, I think coaching might be in my future? Or, did, or was that something in the back of your mind well before that? It, it had always been in my mind. Um so I, I grew up around college athletics less. My dad was a longtime athletic administrator. Um, he was an assistant AD at Cal and Miami. And then his first athletic director job was at Illinois state. And then he went to army and, uh, Indiana and rice. And so I, I grew up around college athletics. I knew from the start that I wanted to work in college athletics. I loved the environment. I loved, um, the energy. I, I, there's so many things about, growing up in that business that have that have helped me to this day and and i i knew that i wanted to do something in college athletics um before college i didn't know what it would be and quite honestly if if anything i was probably erring on being an athletic director and and i saw some of the stuff that my dad went through and i just said man i i think coaching is much more (laughs) in line with what i want to do and, and rather than the athletic director side of things and so um yeah, I, I knew I wanted to do it in college athletics. I knew I wanted to stay uh, in college athletics, but I didn't know in what regard. And um, I, going back to your, your first question about adversity and overcoming some things, I, I had a really unique path, Les. I, I, had, uh, I had ulcerative colitis when I was in, I was diagnosed as a senior in high school, and I actually had to withdraw from school the fall of my freshman year and ended up having five surgeries went back in the spring and, and part of why I'm so appreciative to coach Penders at UConn is, is he stuck by me when, you know, I, I went to UConn as a 210 pound physical catcher and came back the spring of my freshman year as 165 pound wow. week, just not in a position to help the program at all. But he was so loyal to me. He stayed with me. Um, said, you know what, you get yourself healthy, catch bullpens, whatever you need to do. Um, and, and he, and he stuck with me and 
so I'm forever grateful for that. But the adversity side of things, for me, it gave me great perspective at a young age. And I, and I feel like that's something I've carried with me throughout. Um, I, I, I think how guys view, uh, whether it's failure or adversity, goes so far in terms of shaping who they are and who they can be. And so going back to some of the recruiting stuff, um, you know, those are those are the questions you ask. You know, tell me about some adversity. Ask some open-ended questions to try and gain an understanding of uh, a young man's perspective on life. And um, it's it, it's one of those deals where I, I had a really unorthodox path, and there are a lot of guys in this profession that were a lot better players um, that played a lot longer than I did, um, but. I wouldn't trade it for the world because it made me who I am today. So, um, yeah, I, I look at it and say I'm pretty fortunate to to do that. So I, I finished at UConn after my sophomore year, transferred to Indiana. Um, Tracy gave me an opportunity his first year at Indiana, and uh, I had an opportunity to play right away and, and loved every minute of it. I, I loved uh, the place. Obviously, playing for him, I learned so much. Um completely different uh situation than UConn um just in terms of Tracy taking over the program and and so it was it was a great opportunity for me to come in and play right away and so I loved it uh finished playing and didn't really know what I was going to do I was uh, probably a defensive-minded catcher that was coming off of labrum surgery so there wasn't a huge market in professional baseball for that so um (laughs) got my master's and while I was getting my master's, Tracy, Tracy called and said, hey, what do you think about being the volunteer assistant next year? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And that's kind of how I got into coaching. And, and so I was a volunteer assistant for a couple weeks. And then there was some turnover on the staff. And he said, I'm going to interview you and uh, a couple other guys. And literally, I, I remember I finished a master's class and, and stopped by his office to check in. And he said, all right, sit down, tell me your philosophy on hitting. What are we going to do with catchers? What are we going to do with this? And it was just kind of, this is what I believe. This is where I think we can get better. Um, and it wasn't, it was probably the least formal interview that anyone's ever gone through. <laughs> but he, he believed in me and he, he, he stuck with me and, you know, just really fortunate to be able to grow as a person and as a coach under his guidance. And and the rest is history, right? I mean, you you've been working for him ever since, and I mean, it's got to be pretty special for you to know that. Hey, I had an opportunity to play for Coach Smith, where I learned a ton, and and you know, as a young man, now you're having the opportunity to coach for him and, and learn a ton. And you know, you took over as as the hitting coach, and you're working with catchers, and it seemed as though that year is really when spark that that's the spark kind of lit for. For IU, you guys made it to a regional in 09, back-to-back Big Ten turn, or pardon me, Big Ten tourney in 2010. Uh, you know, then obviously the magical season comes up in, in 2013 with the run to Omaha there. And take us through that couple of years, right? The the kind of the building of the momentum, you know, at that program. You know, what sort of things were you guys doing on the field and off the field to kind of develop that culture that I'm sure you brought to ASU now. Yeah, I, I, I'll say this lesson. I, I appreciate your your kind words, but that that spark to the program, I, I can guarantee you that the difference maker wasn't me and the coaching. The difference maker was the players that were in the program at those points. And mm. that 09 team, you know, I, I was so fortunate to work. Uh, I, I, I've been so fortunate to work with great staffs, but especially great players and people and you look at that 09 team at the time i think it was three three picks before the second round um some big leaguers on that team you know to be able to get into coaching and walk into a situation of a team that's that talented i think is pretty rare and so um you know right place right time in terms of getting into coaching and then especially right place right time in terms of breaking in with a talented team so I'm a, I'm a, i work with the catchers and we had a, a catcher that's still catching the big leagues and josh fagley and um you know he he earned that and so <laughs> yeah absolutely the the pitchers the players in that team i mean that that's what what drove the success really fortunate um 
And then we've been really fortunate to continue to attract and build off that year in 2009 at Indiana. And I think Ty Neal deserves a lot of the credit for the people that he brought in to lay the foundation for what Indiana baseball is today. I, I think, um, you know, that, that recruiting success over that period is when you look back at it, it's pretty impressive the number of big leaguers that came through Bloomington, the, the talent that came through there for a program that before that had had moderate success, but nothing to the level it, it sustained over the last 10 years. So, um, you, you, yeah, that, you mentioned you mentioned the recruiting, right? And you mentioned the players and 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 all of that, right? You mentioned obviously your big leaguers, you know, obviously every, on the grandest stage, right at, at Omaha, the name that stood out is you know obviously Kyle Schwarber, and and I and I'm interested to hear what the recruitment of that was of, of Kyle was because you hear, you know, different stories that he just kind of showed up and nobody knew about him. And, you know, next thing you know, he, he develops into who he is now, but I'm interested to hear from somebody who was there and during that process, what was that recruitment like of Kyle Schwerber? Kyle, all, all credit for Kyle. This is, this is how awkward things are when you talk about, um, what we were talking about before in terms of relationships and you never know who's watching. Um, Kyle grew up in Tracy Smith's wife's hometown and Middletown, Ohio. And Kyle's high school coach is the father of guy of, of two players that Tracy coached. So Tracy coached, uh, Brady Norai and Micah Norai, one at Miami of Ohio, one at Indiana. Those guys had great relationships with Tracy. Their high school coach, Fred Norai, picks up the phone, says, hey, I, there's a catcher here you need to see. And so he picks up the phone, calls us. Tracy goes over and sees him, uh, whatever it was, March 1st or whatever the first high school game was. And Kyle was uh, playing against a high school that had a opposing pitcher going to Louisville tough left on left matchup and, and Kyle hit two home runs and <laughs> Tracy said, this is a guy we need to get. And so it was a, a little bit of a sped up recruitment just because we didn't have to dig as much because we had so many family connections with Kyle. Um, his uncle played at Ohio state. Um, he, he has so many attributes that you want in a guy you're recruiting in terms of, leadership competitiveness humility um that you know the first time you meet him it, it's it's easy to see how genuine of a person he is um you know he's the kind of guy you'd want to marry your daughter someday i mean he's just he's just a simple really good human being and you can get that from him the first time you meet him and then you throw at that time, it was the offensive ability, offensive ability on top of that, and you say, you know, we'll we'll figure out where to play him defensively because the offensive was so good, and so the question marks for him um, was, you know, will he be able to stay behind the plate? And at the time, there weren't a lot of people that thought that he could, and you know, it seems like every time we'd see him somebody would say something like, oh, this guy's going to Indiana, huh? Like, he, he can barely even catch. Like, oh, he needs to work on his body, or he, he can't do this, or he can't do that. But he could always hit, and he was athletic, and he had arm strength. And so, for us, it was like, that's a difference maker bat. You figure out the position. And a credit to him, he was so determined to stay behind the plate that he, he just, I couldn't bet against him figuring it out how to stay behind the plate. And so he worked like none other to stay back there. And he beat some guys out to stay back there at Indiana. And I think when you look at that 2013 team and you look at Kyle, um, I think that team embodied his energy, his passion, his, uh, want to win, um, and I think that personality behind the plate was really evident in how that team played. Yeah. So then after the 2014 season where in which you guys made a regional, uh, Tracy is hired at ASU. Um, and for the 2015 season, 
uh, and he brings you along. And so, so you're now back out West, uh, you know, or you're out West, I should say, uh, you know, recruiting in the PAC 12, you know, before we dive too deep into all of these things. And I, I'm curious to know just 300 foot level, biggest differences between recruiting Midwest versus the West coast. I mean, obviously there are different types of players, very good players in both regions, but for you personally, uh, as a recruiting coordinator, formerly at Indiana and now at Arizona state, what are some of those biggest differences for you? Uh, I, I would say obviously at ASU, and this is not due to anything that we've done. It's due to everything that was done before we stepped foot in Tempe. You know, the, the place has such unbelievable tradition, um, tradition of winning, tradition of good players coming through there, um, that it, the, the place speaks for itself. And so I'd say at ASU, you pick up the phone, and the majority of guys you pick up the phone, no matter where they are in the country, want to hear about it, and they want to listen, and they want to learn. And I think that was always true at Indiana in terms of regionally. But if I was to come to Southern California at Indiana and try and beat UCLA or ASU or USC, it's just a different game. And so I, I'd say the number of kids across the country that are aware of the program, that have some baseline knowledge of the program, that, that's different uh, at ASU versus Indiana. I would say how we recruit, um, the types of people and players that we recruit, I don't think that that's changed a whole bunch at all, to be honest. Um, I would say um, very a lot of similarities, more similarities than differences, I would say. You know, so. Yeah, that, 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 make, that makes sense from the, from the two standpoints there, right? Obviously, one being more of a, a, a national brand when it comes to the baseball program. Uh, you know, but obviously you want to maintain that culture that that, you know, Tracy and, and you guys have have established over, the, you know, the past decade uh, together, you know, decade plus together. And so, you know, how would you how would you describe, you know, what the culture is uh, around the ASU baseball program? I'm sure there's been some tweaks and manipulations since 2009 since you've started you know maybe you've added here taken away there so I'm, I'm curious how how you know how do you describe you know what the culture is around the program at ASU today I, I love our culture I love I love the guys that we have in our program I mean it, the the culture is and I think it's the the behavior the acts the thoughts that those guys exhibit on a daily basis and uh, I think a lot of that is due to the families of the players that we recruit. And so I, I'd say on the culture piece, um, you know, we are, we are a little bit slower in recruiting in general. And a big part of that is because we want to make sure that they fit and they value uh, the same things that we value. And so whether that be, you know, them – you know, demonstrating some humility or acting with integrity or proving that they're a good teammate. Um, you know, I, I just think that those personality traits um, define who the people are on an individual basis and the collection of the individuals helps drive the overall culture. And so I think as you, if you value that in recruiting, and there's no right or wrong way to do this, obviously, but you have to get to know guys. You have to have a, have some knowledge of their families and their family situations. And, um, you know, on, on that side of things, I'd always rather err on the, on the right person that has to get a little bit better as a player than the flip side of, you know, really good player, but some serious question marks on the character. Um, because I think that, culture piece is a sum of the individuals within the team so yeah. um and i, I would I, I i'll say this out front i mean, I, I love the individuals we have on our team I'm, I'm so proud of the guys that we have um it's it's high character people from great families that value winning that 
the university should be proud of day in and day out. And um, I think as those guys get into professional baseball over the next few years, I think there's going to be a lot to be proud of if you're an ASU baseball supporter looking at those guys that are in the program right now. And you guys in in your time at, at ASU have been, you know, pretty successful in terms of developing, not only recruiting the talent, but developing the talent and, and helping those guys get to that next level. And, you know, obviously you've had, you know, 25 picks here since you've been there. You're going to have a few more this year, yeah. uh, you know, and, and you talk about, the one thing that, that I found really interesting, Ben, and I've always maintained that, that you know, you're, you're one of the more cerebral guys, right? You talked about you like to read a lot, and, and that's pretty evident in having a conversation with you. Uh, you know, I found it interesting that you're also the academic liaison for, for the baseball team. And, and you know, you've, you've had 34 players be Pac-12, all academic guys. And so, obviously, that is something that is critically important to you. And talk a little bit about your role you know, off the field with doing uh, the academic piece too, because that's, you know, that's hugely important for not only for players and parents, but families, you know, that, you know, are potentially looking at ASU as an option. Yeah. I think it goes back to um, just you trying to find the right guys in recruiting that are growth oriented and, and growth minded that want to get better, not just as a baseball player, but as a person and, academically and, and want to challenge themselves and um you know i, I we're extremely proud we, we've had uh our fall semester this year was the highest uh, semester in cumulative gpa in the history of the program and that's something that uh, i'm that believe that's me awesome. that credit that's that awesome. credit's not not to me that credit is to more much more so john Irwin, our academic advisor and the environment that tracy uh, has shaped and the importance that he's shaped, uh, or the, excuse me, the importance that he's placed on the academic side of things, because I don't think that happens by accident. And I don't think that happens without the head coach, uh, stressing the importance of being good at everything. And so, you know, he always says it, it's like you, you if a guy is, lazy academically usually he's lazy on the field if he's if he doesn't do the right thing socially how do you count on him on the field and it's all interconnected and when um when you try and separate those things out and just be good on one thing and not the other usually those guys aren't the guys that are leading your program or are having long-term success it's usually the guys that are trying to be excellent in everything they do that have a lot of long-term success so um the academic side of things that that's same as before that's that's very little me that's a lot more john Irwin and the environment that tracy's created but it's it's something that we're very proud of less and um asu institutionally uh does some things academically that i think when you blend baseball and academics it's it's somewhat unique and and so we're fortunate to be a place that that has some special circumstances yeah, and we've, we've touched on recruiting here in our conversation, but I'd, I'd really like to kind of dive into the nuts and bolts of recruiting now. And, uh, you know, you, you, you said something there when I'm talking about Schwarber that really caught my attention, and it was we don't really need to dig – we didn't need to dig as much uh, on him because of the connections. And I'm curious, you know, we connect pretty regularly, you know, whether it's about a coach yeah. or a player. And, and uh, I'm curious, when you get – conflicting information whether it be from you know a a high school coach and a travel ball coach or you know me and a travel ball coach or a high school coach how do you sort those things out and I know it kind of goes back to the relationships and and you know people that you trust but kind of walk us through that right when when you get conflicting information on a player uh you know your eyes tell you something that may not agree with what somebody is telling you, you know, what sort of, what do you do there? And, and, you know, how, what's your approach on that? Yeah, I think it depends on the, uh, what is the conflicting information? Is it of the player's ability or is it of the player's makeup? And so, um, while I value people's, uh, ability to evaluate a player as a, as a baseball player strictly, I think, I think the talent is the easiest thing to identify, is the easiest thing to scout. I think 
being diligent in the recruiting process will allow you to paint a much more complete picture of the type of person that you're getting. And so um, if that information is conflicted on the type of individual, then you'll uh, maybe side with the person that's been around them a lot more unless there's you know, some ulterior motive. And so you, you try and, I think in recruiting, you try and paint the picture of, of what is he right now? What can he become? Um, and, and I think it's a really inexact science less. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's as black and white as some people want to make it. And so, um, I think the relationships are so important, like you said, because they, if you have a deep relationship with someone, they've sent players to you in the past, they're familiar with the program. They know this kid fits with you versus just, Hey, it looks good. If my kid goes to ASU, like that's a drastically different conversation. So, um, I I'll say this, I trust my own eyes when I evaluate a player, if I'm able to evaluate him multiple times and be very thorough, I trust my own eyes more than what someone else will tell me about him as a player. Um, but in terms of getting to know the individual's character, I think it's a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, I think there are ways to figure out if that guy aligns with what we're looking for. But I, I think that side of it sometimes takes a little bit more digging and a little bit more trust in terms of who you're talking to than even someone telling you about a guy that's just a baseball player. And so we've touched on kind of guys that fit into your program, right? You're looking for those growth-minded, growth-oriented people with high character. But what other you know kind of characteristics or qualities are you guys looking for in potential recruits? Oh, I mean... I think I touched on a little bit of them, but in terms of as a person, you know, humility is very important. Um, how do they treat their teammates? Um, how do they approach the game? Do they play with a chip on their shoulder? Um, the, the obvious stuff on the baseball side of things, um, you know, we're at a place that has very high expectations. And so, the majority of players that come in are, are skilled baseball players. Um, what we value, uh, we value upside, we value tools, but I don't think you realize the tools unless you have the makeup to uh, utilize those tools and to grow into those tools. So I think it's a combination of, um, you know, when we're looking at a guy, what, what can they currently do? But almost more importantly, what are they going to be? once they're on campus and that one, what can they be once they're a sophomore and a junior on campus? Um, Tracy really values projection and he values, um, you know, he, he will always take the high upside guy and try and develop him. And that's, I think why we had some success at Indiana is we, we had some guys with huge upside and um, we fostered an environment where they could develop into even better baseball players, and, and they had some success in the field, and it, and it translated into professional baseball. And I think that same philosophy has held true at ASU. You, you try and identify guys with significant upside and create an environment where they can succeed and develop. And uh, I just think that the makeup is so important because they don't, realize that without the proper makeup and the proper desire to grow and get better and you know do they want to be coached you know if if they don't want to be coached then there's you better be so good and able to play at such a level that you don't need to be coached but that usually those guys don't fit so um I, i'd say just general recruiting philosophy um you know, try and find those guys that fit in terms of the upside and they want to be coached. You know, you talked a little bit there about the approach to the game. And, you know, I've seen you at a ball field, you know, well, well, before, well over an hour before a game and, you know, watching in and out and watching the interaction of the teammates. And, you know, I, I put a lot of value in that. It tells you a lot of kind of about their character, in my opinion. And, 
I'm curious to hear what what sort of nuggets can you take from watching a player or players in that environment prior to a game? Because like you said, right, the the gameplay will speak for itself. The ability will, will either rise or not rise during a game or a series of games. But those sorts of interactions, you know, whether it's hustling out to a field, you know, interacting with teammates, that sort of stuff. What 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 sort of value do you put on that? Huge, huge. I mean, you can you can only gather so much by watching. Um, but in, in terms of watching a guy, how does he interact with his teammates? How does he interact with his coaches? Uh, how does he prepare? You know, because I think that stuff usually translates, and that's work ethic. Um, some of that stuff that is is ingrained at such a young age stays with guys. And are they competitive? Um, how do they handle failure? I mean, all that stuff is just so uh, important in recruiting because I think going back to what I said before, it helps paint an accurate picture of the player that you're getting and. Um, you know, you watch a guy, and I always think back to Torkelson. Um, what struck me the first time I saw him was, like, he's taking batting practice. He hits four missiles, pops up to fifth ball, and is, like, fired up less. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's upset with himself. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's, one, really hard on himself, but two, has sky-high expectations for himself. Three, this is how serious he's taking this. Like, he, he really cares. And he's not just going through the motions. It's not, and, and there are different ways to do it. I, I, I totally understand that guys, some guys are more serious. Some guys need to play looser. Like, there's, there's a bunch of different styles. Um, but I loved when I saw Torque, his competitiveness, his intensity, um, just how he went about his business. And the more I've been around him over the last few years, the, the easier it is to see why he is as good as he is. And I think those traits sometimes are seen before a game. Sometimes they're seen after a strikeout. Sometimes they're seen, um, you know, just the way a, a, a guy hands his helmet and his batting gloves to a first base coach if he makes the third out versus throwing him to his feet. I mean, it just, I think that reveals a lot about a guy's character. And I, I saw something on Twitter about the shopping cart test, and you, you may have seen the same yeah. thing. But, but I think there's a lot of similarities between that and what some of those guys do on a baseball field. And when you evaluate their actions, their actions are telling you what type of person they are. And is it about them? Is it about the team? Are they competing? Um, will they align with what we want culturally in the program? So I, I, I do. I, I think the time before a game is, is very, very valuable. I think it's valuable to speak with coaches, but I think it's also really valuable to see how the, the player interacts with his teammates. Um, but I, I love to see adversity because once the game gets going, um, you know, we have we have some really good players at ASU, Les, as you know. And Tracy always says it. He says we can identify talent. What we don't know is how will they react when they get in a situation where every player is as good or better than them. And if you're able to see how they react to adversity, sometimes that gives you a better idea of how they'll react once they come into the program. And so staying on that, excuse me, that, that's a really great point is, you know, how are they going to react when they're in that situation when everybody's as good or better than them? There are very few opportunities on the recruiting calendar to be in a situation like that, right, where you can be out watching that sort of thing. So for you, is that, those are, I mean, I got to assume that those are the most valuable opportunities from a recruiting standpoint is, you know, you want to see, guys going against players that they're equals or better right and and so how do you how do you kind of balance that when you're out recruiting during the summer uh you know when you're at uh you know a complex in arizona with you know 20 games in a day and you're trying to figure out which five do i want to go to 
uh, you know, that, that's got to be a little challenge to manage that, right? And so what, what's that process like for you? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm self-admittedly not the smartest guy in the world, Les. And so I, I'm not good enough to watch, you know, three games at once. Like I'm just – my brain doesn't work that way. I feel like I can evaluate much better when I watch one game or at most two games, you know, side by side if it's if it allows it based on who I'm evaluating but I'm just I'm not very good when I'm trying to evaluate four fields at once I I just I can't do it and so um, I feel like I can paint a picture of what the player is what the person is a lot better when I just focus on one field and if I miss something on another field I I miss something on another field Um, I I think the relationships and recruiting become even more valuable when you're unable to see a guy uh, over and over and over again against really good players. And so I, I think of last summer I, I went out to Nashville to watch a player from a, a different part of the country, and um, I loved him. I, I loved the way he played the game. I loved the way he communicated with his teammates. Um, everything, you know, he, he went four for four with two doubles and – you know, he, he was great, played really well defensively, but he was facing a guy on the mound that was throwing probably 75 miles an hour. And I said, all right, how is this going to translate? Like, I, I don't really know. I, I know I, I can read um, who he is as a person. I can see bat speed. I can see uh, that, you know, he's not swinging and missing at anything in the zone. He's just so many different things. When you evaluate, you look at, but you also are saying, all right, but he's never going to face a a guy like this. So how do you, how do you project that? And I think in those situations where you don't have the ability to see the guy against top level competition over and over again, that's where the value of the relationship comes into play. And so, um, the more and more you're able to evaluate and see guys against elite competition, the less input I think you need on that player from external people. And the inverse of that is obviously the less you're able to see guys against elite competition, the more maybe you have to depend on some people you trust that have seen them. And that's that's hard to do because – you know, at, at the end of the day, it's it, I'm the one putting my name on the line that, hey, this is the guy. But um, that's why those relationships are just so critical. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the players you've been around, both at Indiana and at ASU. And, you know, the, the level of, of player obviously has been outstanding with some of the draft picks. But we've touched on character and we've touched on those values that are important to the culture you guys have established. But one thing we really haven't touched on is leadership. And and I'm curious, you know, does leadership happen naturally within your program due to the culture or are there things that you guys do that go towards cultivating leaders within your program? Uh, I, I think it's both. I think it's an environment that you create, but I think it's also entrusting the players to lead. And I think obviously there are so many different types of leadership, whether it be vocal or um, non-vocal guys that go about their business a certain way and, and other guys fall in line. But I, I guess Tracy, Tracy's done a great job, I would say, in terms of uh, working with our team, we, we work with a guy named Scott Pelton uh, that I absolutely love that helps uh, maybe some some self-reflection uh, in terms of what do the guys, how do they want to be perceived? What do they value in a leader? Are they exhibiting those traits? Um, but I think it goes back to uh, in the recruiting, the, the type of people that you're identifying and then them becoming more and more comfortable within the program. And, you know, so whether it be like we mentioned before, some of of, of the growth mindedness or or guys, um, you know, have ambition for PAC 12 championships in Omaha and then their behaviors fall in line with that. And then the younger guys see the older guys, uh, 
what what did they do to be successful? And so I think it's I think some of it happens naturally. I think some of it is created uh, by the environment that that Tracy puts guys in. You know, he'll challenge guys to speak in front of the group um, and get out of their comfort zone. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it, it, it comes back to the collective uh, thoughts, actions, behaviors of the individuals. And then once those guys become upperclassmen, you know, the younger guys in the program look up to them and they say, okay, this guy, you know, Spencer Torkelson is ultra successful. Alika Williams is ultra successful. You know, whoever it is in the program, well, now let's let's step back and let's look at them from a leadership perspective. Okay, um, Torque, if he needs to, you know, would would call somebody out, would challenge him, would get in somebody's face. Alika is a is a great kid, but he's not. That's not in his nature. And I think they're both great leaders, but there's just different styles of leadership. And I think certain guys, especially the younger guys in the team, identify with one or the other. And so as you have uh, a solid foundation of good people, especially as they become upperclassmen in your team, that, that kind of sets the culture. And so um, I think if you've got a bunch of guys that are willing uh, to look themselves in the mirror and answer honestly that, you know what, I'm doing things the right way, that the program would be proud of the university would be proud of. Um, and those guys are your better players and your hardest workers. Then the younger guys start to emulate them. And then the culture starts to build itself. No, but I, I think that's, or go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. Please finish. I, I think it just, I, I always think it's like it, the it's, it's about the people. And then it, after the people, it becomes what they're preaching. It's not the other way around. It's not right. preaching one thing, but the people's behavior is the opposite. It, 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 if you don't have the right people, it, it doesn't matter what you preach or the environment that you try and create. It, it always comes down to the right people. You have right. to, it, it, it starts with the who. And that, and that starts with recruiting as we've talked about. And one, one question I, I left out when we were on that topic is, What's recruiting been like for you during this pandemic, right? I mean, obviously you're not on the road. You can't be on the road. I mean, normally I, I by May 21st, I probably had seen you a couple of times out in SoCal yeah. by now. And, you know, that's certainly not the case. So I'm, I'm wondering what's recruiting like under this current situation for you and, and what sorts of things are you utilizing uh, to your advantage to be able to recruit? Uh, obviously technology, trying to use technology however we can. I, you, you know us less. I mean, we're, we're slower than a lot of our competitors and, um, there, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but we, we just, we've always been that way. Um, and, and it's worked for us. And so we're continuing to do it that way. And so I would say, you know, just trying not to get caught up in, Oh, we only have this many commits in this class, or this many in this, and and making sure that you know anyone we're going to offer, we have already seen with our own eyes uh, that we feel very comfortable uh, with bringing that person into the program. And you know, if if we're in doubt, then we we don't move and we say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna see as soon as this thing opens up, and whether that be from a talent perspective or, you know, we just need to do some more digging or, or whatever it may be. It just, um, not getting caught up in, oh, well, naturally in the spring, we always get so many commits. Well, this is different and this is unique. And at the end of the day, um, I have confidence that, you know, we're going to, we're going to get the right guys and just trying not to panic to get commits just to get commits. And, um, obviously we've, we've continued to recruit, obviously you've continued to, you know, develop relationships with guys, um, you know, I work with, and I, I, I think about it. I, I think we have one of the best staffs in the country. I'm, I'm so fortunate to work around obviously Tracy, but Jason Kelly is one of the best in the business at what he does. Our, our volunteer assistant, Michael early, I think is going to be an absolute star in the business. I think he's going to be, I think he has one of the brightest futures of anybody out there. And, 
Um, so we're so fortunate to be around. I am so fortunate to be around those guys to learn from them. Um, but also in the recruiting side of things that we've got guys that care and, and, and JK is willing to put in the work and go wherever he needs to go. And, and Mike, even as you know, the volunteer is able, you know, to do what he can do in recruiting and, and he's very good at it. So I think, um, you know, it's a staff that really values recruiting, but it's a staff that uh, values getting the right guy and not just gobbling up a bunch of commitments. Yeah, and so on on that point, for you personally and as a staff, you know, what's been some of the bigger challenges with the cancellation of the spring season? You guys were off to a pretty good start uh, there, you know, at the outset of the season. So, I mean, what have been some of those bigger challenges, whether it be communication or you know just missing the guys whatever it might be i'm curious to hear from you on that the challenge i mean this this sounds kind of cliche-ish but the the biggest challenge is, is probably the biggest disappointment is you know you work for all that time to get to a season and you, you enjoy the games you enjoy traveling with the team you enjoy the experience the camaraderie the being in a locker room after a win yeah, i mean I, I i love that stuff and so the challenge for me has been um just keeping things in perspective that you know there are a lot bigger issues out there right now than us not getting to play the last whatever it is 43 games of the regular season um but also you know, knowing what we had, I, I thought I've, I've really felt like we had been building at ASU for a long time. And, and I felt like this was going to be the first real breakthrough type season. Um, I, I loved our junior class. I, I love the leadership that they brought. I love the character of those guys. And so you know, a little bit of a challenge of, of dealing with the disappointment of not going through their uh, their junior season with those guys and being able to see uh, them have the success that they deserve because I, I um, you know, I, I look back to that junior class and I say, okay, what was their freshman year like? And, and look at the growth of the program as they've moved through it. And it's, it's substantial. And um, so that, that's been a challenge, obviously just the disappointment of not going through the season with this group because I, I love the group. Um, and then the unknown, obviously, you know, the last few weeks we've, we've had a lot of answers from the draft. Um, and, and, and we have a, a big junior class. It's, uh, going to have some guys get drafted significantly or at, the, at the top of the draft. And so just trying to figure out, okay, is there going to be a draft? Is it going to be 10 rounds? Is it going to be five rounds? Um, who do we project to lose? How do we construct the roster moving forward to put us in the best position? Um, but it, it, you know, it just kind of taking it day by day and, uh, dealing with problems as they arise. And, you know, it, it's been, it's been a unique spring less obviously. And, and we've been able to do some things, um, whether it be with some recruits or, or with some people around the program, that maybe we wouldn't normally do in the spring. And so, um, you know, we've, we've enjoyed the, we've made the most of it, I would say. Yeah. And you touched on the rostering there and you mentioned, you know, you guys don't move quick. And, and so I, I presume that the rostering is going to be under control, but how long do you think, or, or maybe not even a length of time, but what sort of impact is this going to have on the college game from just the sheer numbers and roster standpoint when you when you take into account the cancellation of the spring season, the decision to have you know give players a year back, and the decision to shorten the draft to five rounds? Yeah, I, I, I obviously it'll it'll hit programs differently depending on their uh, makeup of the roster. Um, for us in particular, I would assume that we'll have. Uh, you know, a few juniors back, a couple juniors back that we weren't anticipating if it was a 40 round draft. Um, so I, I'll be interested to see over the next, you know, week, two weeks, if there's some new NCAA legislation to provide a little bit of roster relief for that junior class. Um, 
you know, for us, I still think we're going to have whatever, five, six guys uh, go in those top five rounds. We were planning on losing those guys. Uh, and then we were just from a recruiting side of things, we were planning on, you know, we held some money back to sign a couple junior college players in the spring. And um, so I'd, I'd been to a couple games. Uh, JK had been out and realistically we didn't, we didn't spend any money in the spring uh, just because of how early it was canceled. And so now we're kind of back to square one with, okay, we've got some guys coming back when instead of money going to JC guys, now that money's going to those guys that are coming back to the program. So I don't think it drastically impacts our scholarship situation, but we were fortunate that, you know, we, we were in a good spot going into it. Um, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see if any further legislation comes out of this and if so what and for how long because i think that will dictate uh you know the direction a lot of people go so yeah um, sorry go ahead no and and i guess that going back to your challenge and that's a little bit of the challenge is the unknown of you know what is the roster is it going to be a, a, a roster cap of 35 excluding the seniors? Is it going to be, you know, are, you know, are they going to get rid of the 25% rule? Are they going to expand the 27 guys on aid? Um, you know, what, what happens there, I think will go a long way in terms of uh, kind of shaping the rosters. Um, I, I will say that we're, we're in a very good spot though, moving forward kind of either way. Yeah, that that's awesome, and and I I just want to echo everything you've said about J.K. because I absolutely love that guy. He's 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 a stud, he's, isn't he? He's he's one of the greatest for sure. But but ben, I've, I've football, learned so much, less, and I I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. I've learned so much. I wish we had the full season to go through because it was a quick fall and uh, obviously quick spring. But I, I'm so fortunate to work around him. He's he's a he's a great person, good family guy, um, but. His, his baseball knowledge is off the charts and yeah. and you know just so fortunate to work around him and mike and tracy they're they're great people and great baseball guys so yeah he, I'm, he's the, all, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to work around those guys yeah no doubt no doubt he's always been uh really really good to me and 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 i can't thank him enough for that but but ben before i let you go we do uh, a little rapid fire here with coaches uh where i'm gonna ask you oh about eight to ten questions and uh, first thing that pops to your mind, don't think about it too much. And uh, it's just kind of a fun way to wrap up the show here. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Okay. All right, here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Gorilla ball. First one, dude. I love it. First one to say. Not, that. Even, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, country or classic rock? Country. Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. College football or the NFL? College. Trackman or Rapsodo? Trackman. Favorite vacation spot? Wailea Beach. Oh, that, that's one of my favorites, too. Uh, Mac or PC? Mac. Best singer on the team? Hmm. Trevor Hover. Best dancer on the team? Tracy Smith. Oh, nice! Favorite stadium? <laughs> favorite stadium you've ever been in? Old Yankee Stadium. Most memorable team you've been on as a player? Hmm. My freshman year at UConn, because of the way they took me in after adversity favorite or most memorable team you've been a part of as a coach 2013 indiana favorite sports team yankees in and out or five guys in and out oh that a boy good job i love that ben man i can't thank you enough for doing this uh really really grateful to uh you know make some time uh, with you and that you made some time with me and just really appreciative of that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can get, get together soon at a ball field. 
Me too, Les. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm honored to be on this and, and really appreciate what you're doing again to, to grow the game and, and get a bunch of coaches' voices out there. It really means a lot. And so thank you for including me. Awesome, man. Well, I hope to uh, see you real soon. Thanks, Les. I'd like to thank Arizona State Recruiting Coordinator Ben Greenspan for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out PrepBaseballReport.com for all your news and information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.